0: Evening as we go to the word, we're looking at the passage John 8, 12 through 30. If you remember, if you were in attendance this morning, we're going through the seven I am statements. So the first that we went through this morning was in John 6. That was, I am the bread of life. And tonight we move to the second: I am the light of the world. Again, a recap. These I am statements are included here by John to make the point concerning Jesus that he is the God man. That he is not merely a king. He is not merely a prophet. He is God that he has come down from heaven to change everything. And so these I am statements All seven, they point to this, they point to him, who he is and what he has done in the work of the gospel. So again, this is the second of seven, the first being, I am the bread of life. Now we turn to, I am the light of the world. These statements are all connected, and we'll talk a little bit of that first statement, I am the bread of life. And then also this one, how how maybe they work together, the relationship between the two, the relationship between these different statements, but then also how they function separately. So that's where we're going to be going tonight. So before we go into it, let us again, let us go in prayer the throne and pray that he would open our eyes to see this glorious light, that we would see Christ. Let's pray. God, we praise you, we glorify you for who you are, that you are the I am, that you are the light of the world, and through you that we can see, that we can truly see. And I pray tonight that there would be a special anointing of that for us. That you would let us see in your word you. That you would grow our understanding. For I know my understanding is always far too small. So take this stammering tongue. Declare your word in your way. In your name we pray. Amen. So again, before we read the text itself, I'm going to touch on the context of the passage. So as I mentioned before in this morning, I'm the bread of life. Each of these seven statements, they're accompanied by a sign or an event that signifies the truth of what Jesus is saying. This is no different here when we're looking in John eight twelve through 30. And actually, it's kind of bookended by two separate incidents, which both underline the reality of Jesus as the light of the world. The first of these being John 8, 1 through 11, and then the second being found in chapter 9. The first of these, chapter 8, 1 through 11, is the story, the encounter that Jesus has with the woman caught in adultery. She is a woman caught in the darkness of her sin and is brought out and exposed. But not only that, but the spiritual darkness of the scribes and the Pharisees that bring her to Jesus, we see their terrible rank hypocrisy, the darkness of their hearts. It's not just one or the other. It's sin in both incidents. And here Jesus is shining his light into both those situations. We'll talk more of that as we go. The second being John. Chapter 9 This is the man born blind. He's never been able to see. And in chapter 9, John brings light into his life by giving him his sight. So we will look at both of these a little more as we go. But again, both these encounters serve as signs that signify and underline the reality of what Jesus is saying to us here in John eight twelve through 30. So let us read the word together, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know, neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his power, his hour had not yet come. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So this morning, when we looked at I'm the bread of life, the actual statement, I'm the bread of life was a ways into the passage. We had to work to get there here. It's right off the bat. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So if you would take this statement and connect it in your minds to I am the bread of life. They do not exist independently. They're tied together and exist harmoniously with one another to declare the truth about Jesus. This is Jesus using words. In his grace that we can understand. So he is saying, I am like bread. I am the bread. And here he is saying, it's like a light. I am the light of the world. So Jesus is using words to describe for us realities that are too glorious for us to comprehend. So he graciously is saying, it's like this. We see this throughout the other gospels also as Jesus speaks in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like This, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. There's the sower and the seed. Jesus is telling all of these parables to give us a picture of the kingdom. So that we can have a kind of understanding. So in the same way as those parables or as Paul, when he says that marriage is like. The relationship between Christ and the church. He's not saying it's exactly like that, that the marriage that we understand here is exactly like the relationship that Jesus has to the church. But it gives us a bearing point for us to be able to understand. So in the same way, these I am statements, they're accomplishing the same thing. They paint us a picture Of what it is that we're looking at, so bear that in mind. So remember, with the bread of life, he said then, whoever partakes of my body will never hunger, right? You will be full and satisfied here in chapter 8 when he's saying, I am the light of the world. He's saying, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. So we could take that light of life and compare it to. Satisfied and full, made satisfied by the bread, the light comes and we can see we can walk in the light, the light of life, the bread has come. We partake of him and we are forever and ever satisfied by who he is. So in verses 13 through 20. The Pharisees attempt to rebut what Jesus is saying and say, well, this can't be true because it's just you talking about yourself. And we know that unless that there are multiple witnesses, this doesn't count for anything. There needs to be more than just you saying things about yourself. Jesus' response is to say on two fronts why his testimony is true. In verse 14 And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Okay, so let's pause there. So as I said, there's two ways in which Jesus is saying that his testimony concerning himself is true. One is that Jesus is claiming complete knowledge concerning himself. He knows Where he came from and where he is going. There's no gaps in Jesus' knowledge. There's no point where Jesus doesn't know something about what he's saying. It's always, always truth. When I speak to my child and I say, well, it's like this, or, you know, clouds are in the sky because water evaporates, and then I kind of get lost. It's like, well, and then it's like, well, why? Why? And I'm like, well, I. I don't know. And so I say these things, but I realize that the testimony that I'm giving, it's hampered by my limited knowledge. I don't know everything. And so even when I do give testimony, there's limitations there. Because I don't know everything. And even that which I think I know, probably a lot of that is wrong. But Jesus doesn't have that problem. And the Pharisees are doing the same thing. And so Jesus says to them, I know where I'm going or where I where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. They didn't even know that concerning themselves. They are so stuck on the temporal. They want the physical bread. They believe that they can see, but they are blind and stumbling around in the dark. So in the one hand, Jesus is saying I can bear testimony concerning myself because all that I say is based upon my complete knowledge concerning both myself and the world around me. I know, therefore, I speak truth. The second way in which Jesus says that his testimony is valid is that he goes to the law. He speaks to them on terms in ways that they understand. So he goes to them. On the basis of the law and says, well, if there are two witnesses testifying. According to the law, that is enough to bear witness as to reality, as to truth. So he says. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true in verse 18. I'm the one who bears witness about myself, one witness and the father who sent me bears witness about me. So the Pharisees do what we have seen both this morning repeatedly, and we will see a couple additional times this evening. They try to box Jesus in and relate to him on their own terms in ways that they can understand in temporal, finite, limited ways. So they say, well, who's your father? And in their minds, if you recall back in chapter six, they were grumbling because they said, well. We know your parents, Mary and Joseph, where how did you come from above? They're doing the same thing here. I almost certainly in their minds, they're thinking, well, who's your father? And they're thinking, Joseph. And then Jesus, again, throws everything off. Over and over we see Jesus, he doesn't even, he speaks in a way that is almost meant intentionally to confound them. Because he doesn't come out and say, my father is father God. Rather, he says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So here we see that Jesus is again and again, and we see it over and over. We in our humanity, we try to bring it down to where he's just like me. He's no different than me. And I try to make him in my image, in Ben's image. And I work at it and I work at it until Jesus looks just like what it would be like if I looked in a mirror. And that's what they're trying to do. But that isn't the case. And that cannot happen because that is not who Jesus is. Another thing I want to point out, verse 15 and 16, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Remember what we're immediately coming out of. Remember, we talked about context. Chapter 8, 1 through 11, talking about the woman caught in adultery. John didn't put these two. This right after that. For us not to be able to connect this in our minds. This goes right back to that. The Pharisees bring the woman in and they demand, they expect that Jesus would pronounce judgment on her and say that she must die for the sin that she has committed. And Jesus doesn't do that. He does not condemn her. And rather, say he convicted everyone there for all the Pharisees, stones in their hands. Each of them one by one walk away as they're convicted of their own sin. And Jesus says to the woman in 11, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. So bear that in your mind, because this is right after that. It's something to think through. So going to verse 21. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from a below. I am from above. Excuse me. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Let's for a moment take verse 21 and contrast it directly with verse 12. The statement that Jesus makes concerning himself. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Here in 21, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the implication of Jesus, the light of the world, departing from where they are, is that the light is leaving. It will be gone. And they will not be able to see. They will be back again where they were in total pitch black darkness. So again in verse 12, the end of it, but we'll have the light of life. In 21, when Jesus says, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. So the concept of darkness is tied to death, whereas in verse 12, the idea of Jesus being the light of the world and that if we were following after him, that we would have the light of life. He's connecting those light and life, darkness and death, where Jesus is, there is light And where there is light, there is life. But where Jesus is not, it is dark. Totally dark. So where he is not, there is death. So the Jews said. And it's very interesting to me. It's almost funny in a way, because this statement I mentioned this morning, Nicodemus Am I to enter again into my mother's womb? And the disciples saying, about the bread, is he saying that we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Well, here they're saying, is he going to kill himself? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus says, no. He said, you are from below and I am from below. Above. So again, he's separating, he's setting himself apart. He's saying, yes, I came and I am a man, but I am also God. I am not just like you. I am man, but I am also God. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. He says in 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So again, he says, belief, believe, believe in me. So in chapter six, the bread of life, if you partake of me, you will be full and satisfied. If you believe in me, he says it's the same. Partake of the bread, believe in me. Here he's saying the same thing concerning himself being the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in 24, believe in me. Otherwise, you will die in your sin. You will die in your darkness. You will die without the bread of life. You will starve devoid of Christ. So they said to him in twenty five, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. So again, he mentions judgment here. He does it initially in 16. Where he says, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. And let me go again back to that, because both in chapter 8, 1 through 11, and in chapter 9, concerning the man born blind, we can compare and contrast Jesus' judgments of truth versus the Pharisees' judgments that are always wrong. We can see that we already talked about 1 through 11 in chapter 8. The Pharisees were like, well, their judgment was she needs to die. Jesus says, I do not contem- condemn you. Go and sin no more. The same happens in chapter 9. The first couple of verses, they're walking by the man born blind and the disciples, not the Pharisees. The disciples turn to Jesus and they say, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? They're rendering judgment immediately. They're saying, well, he's blind. He was born that way. Somebody messed up. It was either something that he did or something his parents did. And now he's paying the price for his sin. And of course, Jesus responds. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so he heals the man. And of course, the man was born blind. He doesn't know who healed him. And so he encounters the Pharisees and their ultimate judgment on him. In 34 of chapter nine, I know we jumped ahead a bit. They say to him, they answered him, the man who was born blind You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. So here we can contrast Jesus' judgments of truth versus the judgments that we render every day. Oh, that by the grace of God, he may work on us that his light would shine through us, that we could see and speak as he does, that he would have us to do. So turning back to 25 through 30 in chapter 8. So again the reality that Christ came directly from the Father still eludes them. They're not there yet. You would think the words between verses 19 to verse 25, where they say, who are you? You would think there would be some kind of epiphany where there would be some growth there. But they're still not seeing it because they're still in that Darkness. They're fixated upon something else. So Jesus says in verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the father taught me and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus speaks here of his oneness with the father, that he always pleases him, that there is a constant communion between himself and, and the Father. We have to see that as Jesus is saying all these things, if he's talking as merely a man, he's certifiably insane. C. S. Lewis made the remark that he either Jesus is a madman, a liar, or he's telling us the truth about who he is, that he is God. There's no middle ground here. When Jesus says these things, we can't just land on, well, he's a good teacher. Because if we read all these things and just say, well, he was a good teacher, we're not reading it for what it is. He is saying some remarkable, amazing things concerning himself. And I pray that the result that we have is that we bow before him as God. So again... And Jesus, shortly after this passage, he heals the man born blind. His power and authority to accomplish such a thing is only possible because of the approval of the Father. Again, this morning we talked about him being sealed by the Father. And that signified the reality of the signs and the words that he was speaking, the things that he was doing. So here it's the same. When he heals the man born blind, it shows the reality of who he is, that he is the light of the world so when jesus says i am the light of the world and equates belief in him with having the light of life and no longer walking in darkness he's saying that only in him is there freedom from blindness freedom from sin freedom to see and live in the light of the world. This great light, he is the light of the world. Now, this was a shorter message. I think we covered everything we wanted to go through. I pray that as we read these things, I know many of us are already, yes, Jesus is God. He is the son of God. But I pray that the wonder of it, the power of it, would be an encouragement to each of us. That we would discover it anew. That he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is. So I can see. I can be filled. I can believe. And know that I am safe with him.